Welcome back to Pinpoint History, everyone. We are back with our next mini series on drum roll, please. The Battle of Hastings. The Norman invasion of England is one of the historical moments that people tend to be more aware of. It's exciting to tackle because the historical players in this part of history are very fascinating. We have the invasion of the Normans under William of Normandy, the Norwegian invasion under Harald Hadrada, and simultaneously, while the last of the Anglo-Saxons fight desperately to beat back both invasions. 1066 is a seminal event in the annals of British history. My family has commented upon my use of a certain word, and so now I will dare to utter it. So, how do we find ourselves in England in 1066, with not just one claimant to the throne of England, but two? We need to go all the way back to England in 1013. I know. Why are we going back another 53 years? Well, settle down, buckle in. And I'll get us there. At this time, the King of England was Ethelred the Unready. Ethelred had been ruling since 978 from when he was 12 years old. The island of Britain has been subject to Viking incursions since the end of the 8th century. At that time, England had been broken up into varying kingdoms. Some of these kingdoms would end up being conquered by the Viking raiders who eventually settled and formed what was called the Danelaw in the northeast of the island. In time, the Kingdom of Wessex became the dominant power in Britain and began expanding until eventually the rough shape of what we call England was created. The Welsh in the west at this point kept their autonomy, as did the Scottish in the north. Despite the formation of a centralized kingdom, the Viking raids would continue, and in 1013, the king of a united Denmark and Norway, Swain Forkbeard, invaded England and was able to conquer it by the end of 1013. Ethelred was forced to escape and went to Normandy, where his wife Emma had been born. Ethelred had eight sons, between two different wives. Two of Ethelred's sons would die in the conflicts between the Danish invaders. Three died before the invasions. One died in 1017, which I'll explain in a bit, and two sons left from his second marriage with Emma. One would later die in the 1030s, and his other son would eventually become King of England in 1042. That was a lot, I know, and I promise to give more detail to the people who actually matter. Okay? In 1014, Swain died. So, we introduce him, and we say goodbye and Ethelred was able to come back and reclaim his throne. This forced Swain's son, Canute, to retreat back to Denmark. It's important to note that the residents of the Danelaw preferred Canute over Ethelred. In 1015, Canute came back with a large force of soldiers and reinvaded England. At this point, Ethelred's eldest living son, Edmund, was the one leading the English forces against Canute. A year later, in April of 1016, Ethelred died, leaving Edmund as king. Edmund would continue fighting for another six months until he was decisively defeated in October of the same year. This defeat forced Edmund to sign a treaty with Canute, splitting the kingship. I wouldn't really call it splitting, as Edmund was left with just the earldom of Wessex. 
but becomes a moot point at the end of November when he died. We don't know definitively if it was murder, if it was injuries from the battles, or if he just got sick. Either way, this left Canute as King of England. In 1017, Canute had another son of Ethelred killed. At this point, Ethelred only had two living sons left. These were his youngest sons by his second wife, Emma of Normandy. Incidentally, Emma was married to Canute in 1017 as well. This saved the lives of the two boys, and they were sent to live in Normandy. Canute would remain king of England until his death in 1035. By the time of Canute's death, he was also king of Denmark and king of Norway, forming what was called the North Sea Empire. When Canute died, the son he had with Emma of Normandy succeeded him. Canute's successor, his son Hartha Canute, had been ruling in Denmark since 1026 due to the political issues in Denmark, and he was unable to come to England for five years. The main political issue Hartha Canute faced was Norway had declared a new king in 1035. Hartha Canute wanted to reunite Norway back into his empire, but by 1040, he had made peace with the king of Norway, and most importantly, they had agreed on making one another their heirs. This now leads to Hartha Canute's successor in England, his half-brother Edward. Edward was one of Ethelred's youngest sons and his son from his marriage with Emma of Normandy. In 1017, when Canute was successful in taking over England, he had allowed Edward and his brother to live at the court in Normandy, where his mother had been born. This placed him out of the line of succession, but more importantly, it kept him alive. In 1017, Edward would have roughly been 12 to 14 years old. Edward lived in Normandy for 25 years before returning to England in 1042 to become king. Edward would rule for 24 years, but would die without a successor in 1066. Edward's lack of children and the vagueness behind the succession left England in a dangerous position, as two foreign powers would claim that the throne was theirs by right. We will now introduce our three main players for the Lollapalooza that is 1066. Our first contender is Harold Godwinson, the brother-in-law to our deceased Edward. Harold was one of the most powerful earls of England during Edward's reign. Harold's father Godwin had managed to get his daughter Edith married to Edward and had given his son various earldoms that made them the strongest family in the country. After Edward's death, Harold was proclaimed King of England. Harold ruled for 10 months, having had to face both the Norwegian and Norman invasions back to back. He would defeat the Norwegians, but lose to the Normans a few weeks later. Our second contender is the Norwegian King Harald Hadrada. This Harald is spelt H-A-R-A-L-D, instead of H-A-R-O-L-D, like our English king. After the invasion of England and Swain's sudden death, Harold's brother Olaf came back to Norway. In 1015, while Canute was focused in England, Olaf was able to become king of Norway. In 1026, Olaf lost a battle against Canute, and in 1028 was forced to go into exile. He would come back in 1030 to reclaim his throne. 
At this battle, Olaf and his younger brother Harold, who was only 15, fought a battle where they lost. Olaf was killed, but Harold managed to survive and was able to escape and lived with the Rus until he was 18, where he set out to Constantinople to serve in the Vrangian Guard, which is a unit of Viking bodyguards that personally served the Emperor. Harold distinguished himself and fought all over the expanse of the Empire, from the Balkans and all the way to Jerusalem. He even managed to get himself embroiled in some of the political events where he allegedly blinded one of the emperors of the Eastern Roman Empire. After a decade of service, he returned to Norway to take the throne. Now, after Canute's death in 1035, Norway became independent once again, and they chose the son of Olaf, Harald's brother, Magnus. In 1046, he came back and ruled jointly with his nephew Magnus. Magnus was the king of Norway and Denmark, as he was the same king who had made the deal with Hartha Canute back in 1040 to succeed one another. In 1047, Magnus died, and we don't know, once again, if it was foul play or people just dropping dead because it's a medieval era. Anyways, he was dead, and Harald was made the full king of Norway, and the kingdom of Denmark was given to a different person named Swain. He's not important. Harold wanted Denmark as well and began a war that lasted until 1064 when he realized he was unable to conquer Denmark. When Edward died in 1066, he pressed his claim based on the agreement between his predecessor Magnus that was made with Hartha Canute. Whether Harold actually believed he was due the crown in England, what was actually important was that he had a claim he could possess. Conquering England would legitimize his claim in the end. So, in September of 1066, Harold set sail for England to press his claim to the throne. Lastly, we have William of Normandy. And not to give away the plot or anything, but he's also known as William the Conqueror for his conquest of, you know, England. William was born in 1028 in the Duchy of Normandy. He was a bastard his mother being the mistress to his father, Robert. In 1034, William's father left on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and made his son his heir before departing. In 1035, on his return trip, he died, leaving William at age seven the Duke of Normandy. So you can surmise that William's early years as Duke were very peaceful, pleasant, and prosperous. So back to reality... William's position as a bastard and a young child left him in a precarious position. His minority rule was very turbulent, with many of the people assuming guardianship over him being killed in order to usurp and to be the one to control William. Eventually, in 1047, at the age of 19, William was finally able to take control of the duchy for himself and begin exerting his authority. Though it would take until 1060 for William to be fully in control of the entire duchy. Allegedly in 1051, Edward chose William to be his successor, and supposedly due to the events in 1064, which is shown on the Bayou Tapestry, a large piece of cloth showing Harold's visit to Normandy, the invasion of England, and the subsequent Battle of Hastings from the Norman point of view. The important part here is that the tapestry shows Harold swearing an oath of fealty to William, 
alleged by the Norman historians. The actual tapestry does not say what he is swearing. William uses the claim that Edward proclaimed him as successor, the oath sworn by Harold, and his familiar relationship to Edward as well. William's grandfather was Emma's brother, making Edward and William first cousins once removed. If you're unsure of how close that relationship is, imagine this. Your first cousin has a kid. That brand new bundle of joy is now your first cousin once removed. Close enough that the thought of marrying them is a little sus, but you know, I digress. William would seek the crown of England and set sail in early October. The Normans definitely have a place on this podcast as we move forward. The Normans are pure menaces throughout the history, and I'm excited to bring them back in different stages and different stories. So now we've set the stage for next week's episode. I want to round this episode off discussing how these invasions are the culmination of centuries of strife in England. In 793, the monastery at Lindisfarne was attacked by Viking raiders. This moment is considered by many as the beginning of the Viking raids on England. The raids on England would continue steadily until the mid-9th century when the Vikings began to change their approach towards the island. Instead of raiding, the Vikings began to consider England as a place to settle. The many Anglo-Saxon kingdoms of England began to fall prey to the Vikings until only Wessex became the stalwart foe of the Vikings. Wessex was able to defend its territories, but even expand into the neighboring territory of Mercia, its northern neighbor. The peace between Wessex and the Vikings created the aforementioned Dane law. Many Viking invaders had come from Denmark, Norway, and Sweden. While Wessex was able to slowly consolidate power and unite England, Viking raids still continued, if with not as much force as the mid-9th century, still with regular devastation. The population of the Danelaw was dangerous because of their willingness to side with the Viking invaders. The invasion in the early 11th century by Swain, continued by Canute, shows the consistent pressure England was under by the Vikings. Lastly, the Duchy of Normandy was formally given to Rollo, either a Danish or Norwegian Viking. The duchy was thus settled by Vikings and in time became Christians and French speakers, or proto-French speakers, I should say. The Normans are known for their fierce fighting spirit, which some attest to their Viking heritage. Either way, after Hastings, England would never be subjected to Viking invasions or raids by the end of William's rule in England. And as a little fun fact, I want to end this episode with an explanation of the word Viking. The word Viking comes from the Old Norse word vik, meaning creek or bay, which is the base for the word vikinger, meaning pirate. Viking is a word used by later historians to denote the groups of Danes, Swedes, and Nords, and so on. Well, that's all for me today. If you like the podcast, please give it a rating wherever you're listening to it, and give me a follow on pinpoint underscore history on Instagram. Thanks for listening. And I'll be back next week. Let's get it.